Before I preach, I want to share with you just a few things that I shared with uh, traditional services last Sunday about uh, church finances. I don't like doing this, and I'm, but I think sometimes we need to talk for just a minute. So if you'll, if you'll hear me out for just a second, then we'll, we'll put this aside and go on with uh, talking about serving all people today as we continue to unroll this vision statement and live into it. But just very quickly, I uh, talked to the finance committee and told them I'd be okay sharing this with you. Um, most of you have seen the numbers on the back of the bulletin and know that financially it's been a, a difficult year for us in some ways. Uh, we've been able to do what God's calling us to do, but it's, it's been, um, been a little difficult. And I know we're in the fourth quarter of the year, and uh, from a sports metaphor standpoint, most ball games, it seems to me, are won or lost in the fourth quarter. And so we're in the fourth quarter, and we usually have a great December here, and I'm counting on that again this year. But I want us to, um, to think about that for just a moment. Uh, first of all, to remind us all of the scriptural call to be tithers. God asked for that first 10%, the first first fruits. And a lot of folks are not there, but we're you're moving in that direction. And I think that's the right thing to do, stepping up and putting the church first. People say, well, I give to a lot of other great things, and is that okay? And of course it's okay. But I think the church is the only organization on the face of the earth that Scripture says God loved the church, Christ loved the church, and gave himself for it. So to me, the church is, is first and is most significant. So I hope you'll keep that in mind. I know some folks have not been giving here and in other United Methodist churches because there's some uncertainty in the denomination. And I know that, and I, I live with that, and I talk about that, I think about that, I pray about that. But some things of which I am certain are the ministries that this church is involved in that are making a difference and changing lives. And the children and, and our young people and then folks in between and the trips with our older folks and making a difference in this community. I'm certain God has called us to do that, and we're doing that. So let's focus on those things of which we're certain, and the uncertainties, we'll deal with those when we get there. By the grace of God, we'll, we'll find our way through. So um, I found a quote recently that just stuck with me, and I think sometimes when we stop giving or when we leave a service or leave a church for different reasons, we need to really think about that. A woman named Joan Didion, and I don't know who she is. I haven't done any research. But she said, you have to pick the places that you do not walk away from. You have to pick the places you do not walk away from. And one of those places in my heart is God's church. And we've got to be careful when we stop giving and when we leave with our feet sometimes, we're walking away from something that's really significant and important. And I hope we'll think about that and, and pray about that and not really judge those folks who do, but look into our own hearts. I know that Mickey and I have with our giving have paid our pledge to the end of the year. We thought that might be helpful and we'll look at things again in December. And I say this not from a bragging point, but just to let you know it's important. And I've got skin in this game too. And I don't talk to folks and ask them to do things that I'm not willing to, to be a part of. So I hope you'll help us to finish strong. Think about these things, pray about these things, talk about these things with one another. Uh, it's important. And uh, so that ends the sermon before the sermon. And if you want to talk about any of those things later, I'm pretty easy to get hold of. I'm around most of the time. Call me, text me, uh, call up here, and somebody can find me. 
and uh, I'll be glad to, uh, to have those conversations with you. But let's move on now. Our scripture lesson for today, and we're talking about the vision, of course. You've heard that from Brent and from Nick and from so many others about how we are a church that's called to welcome all people, love all people, and today our focus is serving all people. And when I knew that was our focus for today, this scripture lesson came to mind. I've used this on many contexts, many occasions, um, just like this story, because I think it'll speak to what I want us to think about this day. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, beginning with verse 20. Matthew 20, 20, and then we'll follow from there. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. got a good friend and uh, we've known each other since we were just back probably before kindergarten days and he used to work for one of the large grocery store chains that was based out of Atlanta it's one of those chains that has gone away now it was bought out by a company from New Jersey and then um, just sort of faded away but Dennis was assistant director of personnel later director of personnel or human resources maybe is a, a more current term and part of his job included going out to the new stores when they were opening stores and helping to hire the employees that would staff those stores. And as you can imagine, he's got lots of stories about some of the encounters he had and some of the people he met along the way. And one of the stories he used to tell was about a girl, a teenage girl, who came to apply for a job and her mother came with her, came into the interview with her answered most of the questions for her. Uh, just really didn't give the young lady a chance to say or do much of anything. And uh, needless to say, this young woman was not hired. First of all, they needed somebody who could be there. When they needed her to be there, mama had sort of told them when she could be there and when she couldn't. They needed somebody who could do the work they asked her to do. And then, maybe the most important thing, they needed somebody who would show up for work without a parent coming along with them. Uh, that was not, not a good thing. Now, incidents like this do occur. Mothers and fathers sometimes interfere. And uh, being a parent, I know that. I understand that. But I think most folks mean well. And maybe this is what the mother of James and John meant. When she came to Jesus and said, Lord, I, I need a favor. 
These two boys of mine, you, you know James and John, the sons of thunder, they are called in other places in Scripture, and maybe for good reason they earned that nickname. I want them, when you come into your kingdom, one to sit on your right hand and one on your left hand. And Jesus had to be real clear with her. First of all, when she approached him, he said, what do you want? I know sometimes we think about gentle and kind Jesus, and I think he is most of the time, but sometimes he's pretty straightforward with folks. What do you want? I want my boys to have the places of privilege and honor and glory in your kingdom. That, that's really what I want. Now, whether James and John had put her up to that or whether she did that on her own, I don't know. I don't know. Think back in your own experience and growing up maybe with your own mothers. My mother eased away from this world into the kingdom of heaven about 15 years ago. But I used to ask her to do things that I was sort of embarrassed or afraid to do for myself because she would do it. She just would do those kind of things for her kids. And, and I know sometimes my kids would put me or their mother in an awkward position sometimes. Will you do this for me? And so maybe James and John put their mother up to this. Maybe she just thought, well, I've seen the other 10 apostles. And I know my boys are head and shoulders above those two, of those 10. So put them in, Lord. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. That's often the case that they don't know what you're asking. So he called them all together. And he began to teach and he began to talk to them. And he said, you know how the Gentiles are. And the word Gentiles really means the nations, those outside of Israel. Sometimes translated pagans or heathens or some other harsh word. But those outside, the, the Gentiles, you know how it is when they get together. They love to lord it over one another. And they love to push one another around. And they like their positions of power and prestige. It shall not be that way among you, but whoever would be first among you must be your servant, must be your slave. Those words are sometimes translated and used interchangeably. You must be the servant of all. So that was sort of a new lesson, wasn't it? And maybe that's at the heart of our response to the question, what has God called us to be as God's church here at noon and first? And the bottom line, I believe is that God has called us to serve others. That, that's our call. That's our reason for existence. We're called into being so that we might be in relationship with God. And if that relationship is to grow, then we've got to be willing and able to serve one another. To kneel down. The, the song was terrific. And I, I've heard that song lots of times and it always gets to me. And through Christ and Christ alone, we become an even brighter light in this community. We find ways to serve. We find ways to make a difference. That's what I was talking about earlier. We've got some incredible ministries here, and we've partnered with some, some great groups in this community to make a difference. We're called to be salt and light. Salt not only preserves life, but it enhances life, and it adds flavor, and that's who we are called to be as God's people to make a difference, to become an attractive body. People want to be a part of that. They want to make a difference. True greatness for the church can only be found as we continue to learn what it means to be a servant people. That's sort of bottom line. That's sort of 
what it's all about. That's why we worship together. That's why we work together. That's even why we spend some time in endless hours in meetings trying to figure it out. And we have been working on this vision statement for at least a couple of years. And we've struggled and we've been back and forth. What does it mean? To welcome and to love and to serve. And we forget that in the church sometimes. One of my favorite stories um, about, well, it's really not a church story, but let me tell it and maybe you can see if it fits or not. There were some business students from a local college who had gone to an oil refinery for a tour. And um, the executive there was showing them all around the refinery, just every aspect of it from the office out into the actual field, how everything worked, and went on and on. And one young kid in that class kept asking, where's the shipping department? And they sort of ignored that question. And he'd raise his hands again and he'd shout out, where's the shipping department? And finally, toward the end of the tour, the executive at the oil refinery said, well, he's not going away. I guess I better answer his question. He said, son, what you need to understand is that there is no shipping department. Every ounce of oil that we refine in this refinery is used to keep the refinery going. Uh, is that a parable of the church sometimes? We have to, have to be careful about that thing. We do need to. We, there are things here we need to do. There are things we need to keep going. But sometimes we get so focused on that that we forget we're called to be a servant people. Hans Kuhn, a Roman Catholic theologian from a generation or so ago, put it like this. He said, it's not only for God's sake, but for his own sake that I must love my fellow man. I must not keep looking over my shoulder to God when I'm trying to serve my fellow man and indulge in pious talk when I'm supposed to be helping somebody. The Good Samaritan helped without dragging in what he calls religious reasons. The need of the fallen man among thieves is sufficient for him. And at that moment, his attention is focused on the victim. Now, without going into that story too much, something I learned about that story a few years ago, and you think, well, the Good Samaritan, what else is there to know or learn, is that that road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and of course, anytime you leave Jerusalem to go anywhere, you're going down in, in the thinking of the day. But on that road, there were caves along the way, and in those caves lived a lot of the zealots who wanted to overthrow Rome and zealotry and revolutionary work doesn't pay very well. So they had to have a little money. So they would go down to the road and they would rob these folks along the road. And that's why the zealots often became known as thieves. And that's why we're told that there were two thieves crucified with Jesus. They were probably zealots to overthrow Rome. But anyway, when Jesus said the man was going on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and implied that he was walking by himself, everybody back then would have said, the big dummy? Nobody around here walks on that road by themselves. And the way they did it back in that day, there were a group of men and then women and children and another group of men. For, they traveled in groups for safety. But if this guy was going down that road by himself, he was a dummy. And if he got beat up, then that's his own fault, right? But Jesus went on to say, and to make a hero out of the guy who stopped to help him. And what that said to me about that story is, sometimes in the church we're called to serve people 
who have gotten themselves in messes of their own making. And that doesn't mean we can ignore them. And I've been in too many of those conversations in my life, and I pray God will forgive me when I've thought, well, gosh, they messed up. Why should I help them? They ought to know better than that. Doesn't let us off the hook, does it? We're called to serve, even folks who made a mess of their lives. I was ordained years ago by Bishop William Ragsdale Cannon, and I don't know if any of you ever knew him or ever heard of him. He died a, several years ago. But he was quite a character. He was a bachelor. He taught at the Candler School of Theology before he was elected a bishop. There are so many Bishop Cannon stories around. Probably none of them are true, but some of them were pretty funny. He asked uh, his assistant dean one day, he said, I want you to go down into Atlanta and buy me a new car. And he said, well, Dean Cannon, what kind of car do you want? He said, oh, I don't know. Just get me a green one. Um, he, he was that kind of absent-minded professor type. But I had a great deal of respect for him. When he would preach or teach and read a passage of Scripture, he would hold the Bible on his shoulder and repeat it and recite the Scripture passage word for word, never miss a comma. He, he knew the word that well. He was that brilliant of a guy. And he told us at a meeting at pastor school years ago in Macon, Georgia, at Wesleyan College. And it's a simple statement, and I've probably said too much by way of introducing him, but he told us, and it has stuck with me for years. He said, the only way to glorify God is by serving others. I've thought about that a lot. And another writer that I lean on and some of you know about Tony Campolo and he said once I'm amazed at how many people do not recognize that serving others for Jesus is the only proper response to all the wonderful great things that God has done for us there's an old legend and I can't remember when I first found this but um Maybe you've heard it. It was in a, in a kingdom in a country far away, and there was a prince, and he was looking for the princess. He was looking for just the right partner to marry. And he put word out all through the kingdom, and he said, I'm going to marry the woman in this kingdom who has the most beautiful, unblemished hands. And so all the parents who had daughters began to protect their daughters' hands, keep them out of difficult situations, keep them from doing any kind of hard physical labor, anything to protect those hands. And one day, there was a young woman walking down the road, and she heard some noise coming out of a briar bush. And she stopped, and there was a rabbit, just a small rabbit caught in the briar bush. And she looked at the rabbit and the long briars, and she looked at her hands, and she looked back at the rabbit again, and she looked back at her hands again. And finally, she reached down into the briar bush and she freed that small animal. But in doing that, she scratched and marked her hands and there would be scars that would remain forever. And when the prince began to come around and talk to young women and say, show me your hands, she showed him her hands. And his first reaction was, oh, mercy, <laughs> didn't you realize? 
I was looking for the most beautiful hands there are. What in the world happened to those hands? And she told him the story about how her hands had become scratched and marked up. And he married that woman. He said, those are the most beautiful hands I've ever seen. And I think about the Prince of Glory. I think about Jesus the Christ. And I think about how if you look closely at his hands, the scars are still there. Serving other people, even when it's difficult, even when it causes us pain. And then there's another story. It's sort of a newer story, though not brand new. I don't know if any of you ever worked in a place where there used to be a mail room on the bottom floor. I know mail rooms are probably things of the past with technology and snail mail going away and those kind of things. But if you can picture a corporation in a large, prestigious building, and on the bottom floor, sort of in the basement, there's a mail room where the mail comes in every day and it's sorted, and then it's taken to the other folks who work on the floors above. And there was a young man who had come to work for that company, and he was in the mail room, and he kept thinking, how do I get out of here? How do I get promoted? There's got to be something better. And one day he was walking across the floor in the mail room, and he saw a bug, just a big bug-looking bug thing. And he, he raised his foot, and he got ready to stomp it, and the bug spoke to him. And the bug said, please, sir, if you will spare my life, I'll grant you any wish that you would like. And the guy said, oh, I don't believe that, but a talking bug, that's pretty cool. I think I'll just keep him. So he, he kept the bug and put him in a matchbox and put him in his desk. And then he got to thinking a little bit later, well, maybe the bug can get me out of this mail room. So he went and he said, bug, I, I need a promotion. I need the first floor. I need at least a cubicle and share some administrative assistance with the other folks up there. So the next day he got called in and he was moved up. And this kept happening over and over again. And he kept moving up in the corporation from one floor up to a higher floor. And finally, he was on in the penthouse. And he was the CEO. And he was in charge of the whole operation. He had the most magnificent office you can imagine with every little comfort, gymnasium, just all. It was all there and it was all his. And he thought, well, I've finally arrived. And he was out one day just kind of walking around in the building and he saw a door he had never seen before and he opened it and there was a staircase there and he started up the staircase and he stumbled and he realized he had stumbled over somebody and he said, what are you doing here? And the guy said, I'm on my lunch hour, sir. I come here every day and I, I come up into this stairwell and I kneel down and I pray to God. <laughs> and he said, God? Who or what is God? And the guy said, God's in charge of everything. Created everything. Loves us more than you can imagine. God's in control of the universe. A powerful and loving God. And the guy said, wow, I never heard of such. So he went back to his office. He dug through his desk. And back in the corner where he had been for a long time, he pulled out the matchbox and he opened it up. And the bug kind of yawned and stretched and rubbed his eyes and said, I thought you had forgotten about me. The guy said, I need one more thing. When I come to work tomorrow, I want to be doing what God would be doing if God were a part of this corporation. And so the very next day, he was back in the mailroom. Jesus came 
not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many, to kneel down, to wash the feet of his followers, to serve others. We get so caught up in so many things and we forget we're called to be servant people. And there's nothing demeaning about that. There's no put down about that. Think back to your own life experience and look into your own hands and look into your own heart. Sometimes our scars are not on our hands. Sometimes our scars are in our hearts. They're not visible to other people, but we've all got some scars. And we've all got some brokenness and we've all got some pain. We need to remember our Savior who came not so much to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to serve others. That's why we're here. We're called, we are empowered and united by the Holy Spirit to be a church that welcomes all people, that loves all people, and that by the grace and the power of God is learning to serve all people. Amen.